poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Tactical Tuesday on Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Welcome, 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 my friend, to another episode of Tactical Tuesday on the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, Coach Brad Wilson, and I'm joined by John. John, welcome back to the show. How are you doing, sir? Doing well. First uh, first YouTube hand breakdown for CPG. Got the got the merch ready. Oh, see it. Yeah. <laughs> now the people that are listening to this on the podcast are like f you guys we have no, <laughs> we have no visual component we're going to be doing our best to describe everything verbally for the podcast listeners but also you know if you're listening to this podcast right now you can check out the replay on youtube youtube.com slash chasing poker greatness so john we're going to be looking into some hands that were played by a villager, one of my private coaching students in Greatness Village. Um, he was on the Texas Card House live stream a couple weeks back, and he gave us the all clear to break down some of the hands that he played. You excited to jump in there? Yeah, I'm excited for this first uh, like first hand breakdown that we have is, is actually a live stream and not just us you know, clicking through a replay or so. Uh, lots of new stuff today. Yeah, the YouTube crowd don't get your hopes up because we don't have <laughs> we don't have many video components to to run <laughs> through. I guess we could do some like um, you know, some past hands or whatever with with video. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Let's jump into the first hand that Joe played. Uh, I believe that he's playing five five ten. Um, so five five ten. John, do you want to break down the action in the first hand here? So sure, Joe is uh, our friend in the three seat with the black cap, black shirt. He looks down at Ace King offsuit under the gun. Like everything so far, I'm, I'm sure everyone is at fine with opening this hand pure. Uh, I think forty dollars is is fine given that there's three blinds and and uh, everyone's playing really really deep. I agree. And then so he opens a forty, and then he gets three bet. By the hijack, the three better chooses a size of 275. We'll skip back to Joe. Everybody folds. And the action's back on Joe. And I guess this is the first major decision point in this hand. Uh, Joe has 2.3K behind, and the three better has him covered. And so, yeah, we'll start here the question of four betting versus flatting. Uh, so with the disclaimer that this is, I believe that this game is either nine or 10 handed. Um, and I have never studied or looked at like nine or 10 handed ranges with that disclaimer. I would say that for me, uh, six max cash or even like, I don't know, eight max live ace king offsuit is going to be a pure, uh, four bet for me. Um, I, I'm not doing a lot of flatting out of position with ace king offsuit ever. Um, it's like just one of the hands that I'm happy to either just four bet or if I three bet with ace king offsuit from like the blinds, let's say, and get four bet by the original opener, it's one of the hands that I'm just happy to get uh, get all in preflop. 
Yeah, and for the YouTube watcher and for the podcast listener, so the spoiler is that the villain three bets here with King Jack off. And this is, you know, maybe an hour into the session. I don't know how much history Joe had with this specific villain, but like King Jack off is way out of line here. Like way, way, way out of line, three betting and under the gun opener. Um, and the sizing that they chose, you know, from 40 to 275, I mean, they're squeezing, but still it's just like really, really big three bet uh, in position here with King Jack. So like basically if, you have history playing against this villain and they seem to be three betting light, then four betting is just a no brainer slam dunk must do. And again, I think I'm with you. My preference is just a four bet, especially being out of position. I'm going to lean towards four betting here. What would be your sizing given the depth? Good question. Uh... I think I would go, so my standard, in just a standard situation where everybody opened in three bet to regular sizes, my out of position uh, four bet sizing is generally generally 3x. Given that the, the three bet here is so large, I don't think that you have to go that big when you're four betting. Um, I think I'd probably four bet to maybe around 600-ish or just north of 600. Yeah, like 650, something like that. Yeah, yeah, that seems like a number where that, you know, we can still comfortably threaten stacks post-flop um, and we're not just, uh, you know, putting half our stack in pre-flop and, and getting in right. some weird SPR spots later on. Well, and, and also, like, whenever you're four-betting here for the listener, you need to threaten um, with bluffs, right? So, like, basically, if you put half your stack in, you can't ever fold versus the jam. And, and so, like, when you four-bet smaller, villain can jam inappropriately you give them that option of jamming inappropriately and also you allow yourself to have future four bet bluffs that you can fold if the villain does just jam right so that's why you know the small four bet sizing is preferred joe opts to just flat here i mean as long as you don't fold i think folding is clearly (laughs) folding is clearly not good but i think flatting is like somewhat reasonable um at a nine-handed table so i'm not gonna not going to kill Joe too much for that. And actually, I think we should maybe bring this up even early on. Like from what I understand, Joe is uh, kind of taking a shot at like a game this size. And he hasn't, he usually plays um, a little bit smaller than this online. And I can see that kind of working its way into like why he flatted Ace King offsuit preflop instead of like four betting and potentially playing a, a, a massive pot. Um, for sure. And, and I mean, this, this is something that like will be a theme in this episode is like basically when you're taking a shot and you don't have many buy-ins for a game, staying in the game is pretty important because like when you, when you get busted, it's kind of like a tournament, right? You can't just, if you have infinite money, you can just four bet, get it in, flip whatever with Ace King and like no big deal. When you have limited buy-ins, like staying in the game is is pretty important. And so sometimes, you know, you can t- you you're kind of forced to take some lower EV paths than you otherwise might, just because you know if you're playing against six fish or whatever it is, then you know you want to capitalize and find some like really high EV spots and high equity spots to get into. So it's right. a little it's almost like tournament strategy in like a cash game when you're shot taking like this. Ultimately, I would say, like, probably don't do this a ton. 
yeah. like that that's that's the the general from like, rule from my like limited conversation like my limited discussions with joe about you know poker and like hand histories or, and whatever like i i have like full confidence that he's like the type of player that would four bet this 100 of the time if he opened under the gun online and got three bet by the button or something like that and so no doubt yeah yeah I think this is something that can happen too for people that travel around the country, right? They can not have full liquidity at stops that they go to. I mean, this happened to me quite recently in Cherokee where like, I'm in a really good game. I only brought uh, like 4K with me and I get sacked for 2000 on the very first hand that I play. Well, shit. Now, like, how do I get money in to to rebuy, right? Like, it's not as easy as just like snapping your fingers. I mean, even... You know, getting a Venmo transfer, like how do I get it off of Venmo uh, while I'm at the casino? You know, there's no like easy options here as, you know, online, you could just use Bitcoin and Bitcoin is great and it solves the problem. But like in a live environment, you know, what are you going to do? Travel around the country with like $50,000 to every stop that you go to just in case, just so that you have enough money to keep rebuying. So I don't know how to really solve this liquidity issue traveling around, um, across the country playing in cash games. But anyway, I can imagine this happening for multiple people, not just people taking a shot, just people traveling without their whole bankroll on their person because like that seems a little absurd. Right, right. So anyway, back to the hand, back to the action. Uh, so we have a flop of tray of hearts, six of spades, seven of diamonds. To recap the pre-flop action, Joe, Joe opened a 40, got three bet to 275, and then he flatted. Joe's first to act here, and Joe starts by checking. There's $610 in the pot. And our villain chooses to C-bet. How much did they C-bet here? 350 So they found the half-pot button in a live environment. Uh, what do you think here, John, after Joe is facing this $350 bet? Uh, definitely not folding after only flatting ace-king offsuit preflop. Um, think that we are going to be seeing this 50% pop bet. I, I don't know much about Justin, but like, yeah, I'm, I think we're going to be, I think betting 50% pot on this type of flop is totally fine in position as a preflop three better. Um, you're just going to have a lot of overpairs or a big overpair advantage. Um, and so not surprised to see him doing this with uh, like a two over type hand. And because there are going to be a lot of those, you know, king, queen, king, king, jacks, jack tens in there. I think Ace King is a pretty slam dunk call. Briefly considering the merits of raising, but don't think that I would ever raise Ace King here. No, I mean the reason that you would raise would be to like deny some sort of large equity C bet. And I don't I think that like when Justin bets here, he's either has overpairs or he's got like some suited Broadway or offsuit Broadway in this case, um, that he's C betting with and like Suited Broadway doesn't have a ton of equity against our ace king. So like no real reason to check raise Uh pretty slam dunk check call here. Joe is getting like three to one on the flop. So he needs 25% equity to continue. And there's just not a world where ace king doesn't have 25% equity in this spot. So Joe clicks call. And then we head to the turn. The turn is the 10 of clubs. There's 1.3 K in the pot. Joe has 1.7K left, so SPR is a little bit more than one. Joe checks, and now we can talk about you know what we think Justin's preferred strategy should be here with his exact hand, the king-jack-off. What do you think, John? Uh, I think I'd barrel 
just put all the money in on the turn, or I put a lot of money in on the turn and then jam the river quite frequently with, with King Jack off. Well, um, there's 1.3 in the pot and Joe has 1.7K. So like, what is, we can't, we can't like put a lot of money in on the turn and then jam lots of rivers. You know, we we're only working with like SPR of little over one. Yeah. So I used to think that too, a lot that like, you can't get half pot. You can't leave yourself with half pot on the river and rip it and expect them to fold after they call the turn. I guess like, it's like a massive spoiler, but like people do fold on the river when you jam half pot. Um, if I had to guess sort of like the psychology behind like why that works, it's like, if you're the person facing the half pot bet on the river, you're, I think often what people tell themselves is like, well, like they know I have a pretty good hand. I call the three bet preflop. I call the flop. I call the turn and they're still ripping the river anyways with like for a half pot. Are they going to be bluffing very often here when it looks like I have like a hand that's could just very easily call down, especially getting a great price on the river? Probably not. So my response is going to be to uh, like exploitatively fold some hands that should be calling. And so, yeah, I, I would very often just go for three with my uh, like unimproved broadways. It's hilarious that you say that you used to think that because my assumption is that like the reason you've changed your mind is because you do this and they go through. Well, I don't know if it really started out with me like like trying a bluff in it going through, but I think I, I'm guessing like the way it happened is like I looked at like a hand history on ignition where I jammed probably with like value on the river and saw that they folded like, I don't know, like an ace or something like that on an ace high board. And I was like, whoa, like people actually fold ace jack like after calling two streets. Like maybe I should just bluff way more and, and see if I can get, see if people do fold uh, like top pair or whatever, maybe even like a hand like jacks in, in this case, like in Joe's case or a hand like pocket nines. Um, you know, maybe those hands do fold on the river because they don't expect me to bluff half pot. Uh, that's mostly how I stumbled on it. Um, <laughs> so you have been doing it and I assume the results have been pretty good. Yeah, the results have been okay so far. All right. So that's good to know. And we'll, we will spoil the rest of this hand because Justin does not know that exploit and just opts to check behind. And the river is a four, puts up a four liner on the board. I don't really see much merit in Joe betting on this four liner with ace king high. I think we, you know, Joe beats the same hands that he beat on the flop. A lot of Justin's overpairs just barrel the turn. And so really ace king is kind of like a bluff catcher here on the river. If Justin didn't did decide to bet, uh, I, I wouldn't be folding ace king if I checked and then Justin did bet me personally, mm-hmm. but um, Joe does check and Justin thought about it for like a second or so and opts to check behind and Joe just takes down the 1.3 K pot with ace King high. So I think this hand is well played by Joe. And after the break, Joe's going to play another ace King that maybe, uh, maybe we got some, some thoughts on this ace King that Joe plays. So stick around after the break and let's see what Joe does next. fish dog bets the flop and you don't know what to do one man coach brad wilson has a surefire plan to neutralize flop leads and rip that dunk to shreds nuffle available now go to chasingpokergreatness.com slash nuffle all right welcome back from the break 
about to dive into this ace king where there's quite a bit more action and probably some more interesting talking points than hand number one that just kind of checked out on the turn in the river. Uh, me and John were discussing in the break how, you know, two streets got checked through and somehow we still managed to talk about a hand for 15 minutes straight. Uh, very, we're very short winded human beings, aren't we, John? Yeah. Not much to say at all. <laughs> all right. So hand number two, the action is five, five, 10 with a straddle. Joe looks down under the gun at an ace and a king of different suits. And just like last time, with an ace and a king of different suits, Joe opts to raise it up. This time he chooses to raise to $75. And the action the action folds around to the villain in the previous hand, Justin, who calls $70 cold with a king and a nine of spades. And then gentleman by the name of Chicago Tim calls $55 which means how does he call $55 here John what what is he in the, <laughs> the, the 20 he's in the 20 yeah. oh yeah that's right 75 minus 20 is 55 it's good um really great at math so <laughs> anything to talk about here um the big blind flats with the king six of clubs uh for the listener of the podcast and um yeah, nothing nothing super exciting here. Yeah, I don't think there's anything worth talking about. I think Joe's sizing is completely fine. Um, he now, I don't know, for listeners, I guess, he now has 4K, but is still only 200 big blinds effective because they've added the $20 straddle. Um, so same relative depth as last hand. I, I think, think I think the straddle calling, yeah. And then I just, I mean, King-9 suited, whatever. Um, King-6 suited calling out of the straddle is mandatory as well. So, so yeah, I like everything pre-flop. Yeah, and I think the king nine is like out of position here because I saw them check on the flop. Like, yeah, so king nine suited is in the big blind. Okay, so king nine suited is in the big blind, and the guy with king six, who is in the straddle that flops the second of flush draw, decides to lead here. And there's 240 in the pot. They lead 150, so pretty big lead on the flop. Uh, Joe has the ace of clubs, the king of hearts. So Jack nine, four with the nine, four of clubs. Joe has backdoor nut flush draw. Um, I guess John, will talk about this first decision here with Joe facing a, a big flop lead multi-way. Without knowing much about Chicago, Tim, um, if I was Joe, I'd be a little surprised to get led into on Jack nine, four multi-way. Um, I think there are different types of board textures that I would not be surprised to be led into like, I don't know, four, five, six, uh, those types of lower, lower connected boards, um, I think, uh, are the types of boards where I face leads most frequently. Um, so I'd be a little kind of cautious or like proceeding kind of cautiously, I guess already. Um, I think the kind of the counter argument to proceeding cautiously when you have a hand like, or just any type of hand facing a lead, uh, you can probably learn about it in knuckle that you don't, you don't necessarily have to, you don't have to be scared, um, but I'll try not to give too much of the Nuffle content away. Um, I don't know. I guess I'll just close out my flop discussion by saying this. It seems like a pretty easy call with two overs and the backdoor at flush draw and the backer straight draw to, to boot. Yeah, I mean, multi-way kind of makes it a little bit different because, like, you know, a lot of the Nuffle stuff was created for single-raise pots and heads up. Uh, so a big multi-way lead 
it, it can be a little troublesome or it can feel troublesome, but either way, I mean, with back door no flush draw position and ace king high, like I'm, I'm flatting here pretty much all day long if I'm Joe. So definitely on board with Joe's decision here to flat. And then Justin just folds his second pair pretty quickly and instantly. Surprised about that? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to spend too much time on it. Like a dude who flats king nine suited from the, you know, with two blinds behind him. And yeah, but like, do you think you should fold middle pair here under different circumstances? Mm, no, I think it's, I think you're not excited to call, but I think, I don't know. I, I, Maybe you should fold it. Maybe it should be folding middle pair here more often. I mean, it's 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 like you don't you don't really get to like improve very often, and and you probably don't even get to showdown very often. So maybe it's it it is like a pretty easy fold facing a bet a lead and a, a lead and a call. Yeah, I mean, I, my preference would be to have like hearts. I think hearts is like a no brainer call on the flop. Yeah, like you can't yeah. even you you can't really even debate whether or not you want to fold with uh, like king nine of hearts. But anyway, king nine of spades. I think it's like. It's it's it is what it is. I don't think it's like a big deal either way. So we take a turn heads up, and the turn is the ten of clubs. And so the board is jack of hearts, nine of clubs, four of clubs, ten of clubs. So Joe turns a gut shot with the nut flush draw, and Chicago Tim turns the second nut flush. Um, Chicago Tim starts out by checking. Joe has three point nine k left in this hand. There's five forty in the pot. And so the question here is what do you think Joe should be doing here with his nut flush draw gut shot over cards? I think you can go one of two ways here. Um, one is like more passive line, I think, where you just sort of take your equity. You hope that you have enough showdown with a hand like ace king high and you just check back, maybe bluff catch some rivers, uh, maybe value bet some rivers, depending on if you improve. I think that's one option. I think the other option is to just like go full aggro and and make or try as hard as you can to get the straddler to fold a hand like a jack, maybe even like a hand as strong as two pair. You're definitely not get them you're not definitely not gonna get them to fold those sorts of hands on the turn. But I think you could go like a really take a really, really aggro line, but you just have to make sure that like it's very, very, you, you want to make it very, very obvious to the straddler that you have a flush or that you're representing a flush. You don't want them to like think like, oh, well, maybe he has, you know, worse two pair or may, maybe he has, you know, like, you know, some, some sort of value that I beat. Like, I, I think if I was going to take the very aggro line, it would just be like, hey, I have a flush. It's probably the nut flush because I'm putting lots and lots of money in. Like, I'm probably overbetting river or something like that. Um, so there's, yeah, I, I, those would be the, my, my two lines, I guess. So there's 540 in the pot. Um, how much would you bet if you did bet here? You got 4K or 3.9K behind. Yeah, I'd probably bet like 750. Yeah, 1.5X. Like, if that's the route you're going to go, you, you need to commit to that route and go very polarized um, with a bet. Joe, Joe makes you know the first mistake of the hand here. He bets 200, and I think this bet is like just not moving the needle as it relates to like generating fold equity, like telling a credible story. Um, you know, I, I think that like villain's going to continue with all of their top pairs facing this small bet. And basically when you, you bet, choose a small sizing, like you're committing yourself to two bets to try to fold out like all the top pair hands. 
Um, and, and it's a spot that I think like you just naturally want to be more polarized and you just want to use a, a really big sizing or you just want to check back. I, I think my, you know, my preference here is probably to check back um, with Ace King High just because we have a decent amount of equity and I can bluff catch rivers and make good decisions there. I don't think it's like absolutely necessary to go like seven, 750 jam. What if you're taking a shot and like, this is your only buy-in is that, does that make it a, a, a definite check back for you instead of definite, like, definite let's, let's risk blasting off. Okay. Yeah. Like def, definitely going to check. I mean, in, in spots that are very close, you probably want to take the lower variance route. Right. Right. So, yeah. you know, in this spot specifically, uh, I would be checking back if I were Joe. But I mean, there there is a great argument again with unlimited funds to just seven fifty pile and rebuy if you know things go things go poorly. Yeah. yeah. So Joe bets two hundred, and this is sort of like maybe the the most important data point in this hand happens on the turn. Uh, Chicago Tim kind of looks questioningly at the two hundred, tells the guys around him to quiet down. And uh, rechecks his whole cards, and this is the yeah right there. This is where the whole hand hinges. Um, for the people on YouTube watching it, I'll I'll show the replay again. But Chicago Tim pretty visibly just sighs. Like I mean, he he just kind of sighs. And right there, right there, yeah, yeah. And then looks down at his chips and raises right, which. This is uh, maybe one of the most reliable physical tells in existence. Like villains, like ah, oh, oh, things are so horrible. I can't believe this spot. I guess I guess I just put more money in the pot. I mean, I, it's what I have to do. I I don't know. Um, <laughs> they basically just always have the nuts. So I think this is mistake number two from Joe is missing this physical tell because yeah, what what's about to happen. Um, foreshadowing with the physical tell, uh, it's it's not going to get great after this. So, anything to add there, John? No, um, I'll just admit that I didn't notice the tell either when I watched when I watched this back. So, to be to be fair, like in real life, to be fair, like when you're watching a video back, you know you've got a lot, a lot fewer external pressures. Um, when you're playing the hand, you know, you're probably thinking about like future decisions. You're yeah. trying to look like a statue. And, and I mean, there's a reason why like the very high level players in tournaments stare at each other very intensely throughout everything. Right. Because they're looking for any data point in which to improve their decision-making process. And, and mm-hmm. so like, if you're taking a shot and you're like nervous and you've got adrenaline pumping through your veins, Maybe you miss this, right? And I think that's just something that, like, for lesser, uh, less experienced players, it's just a thing that you builds up over time when you're used to playing live poker and used to being in these spots. You can kind of relax a little and just kind of take situations as they come and pay attention to the data points. But like, this is not one you want to miss. The the sigh on the turn, <laughs> and then um, you know, then a small raise, which. Chicago Tim does raise Joe's two hundred dollar bet to two seventy, so or to four seventy, so almost uh, a min raise, like a little bit more than a min raise, giving Joe like pretty much direct odds to draw to his hand, which like cool, like basically even even if you see somebody sigh and they give you direct odds, well 
you still have outs to make the nut flush. So like, I, I can't imagine ever considering folding here, but like really just hoping to <laughs> hoping to make my hand on the river and a queen, a queen. I'm just not, I I just don't want to see a queen. <laughs> a, queen <laughs> a queen would be like the, the, the card that's like, Oh God. Uh, but facing a big bet, I still think on a queen, I'm just folding. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you that you, you can't fold versus this price. Um, had you not noticed the sigh, let's say, which well, let's just assume that Joe didn't notice it. How does that change? I mean, I assume you're still flatting here quite happily. Uh, even without the live tell, but like, how, how does that like? If 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 you had noticed a sigh, are are you like, you're, are you happily calling on a queen on the river, for example? Like, what what changes for you? I guess it just depends. I need to get there, then I need to. I, I would be at this point, like, if Joe didn't see the sigh on the turn, I mean, he needs to be locked in on the villain on the river. Like, you need to be staring bullets through them, figuring out like, uh, just is the guy going to give another physical tell? Like, is he going to give something away? Is there anything that I can gain that will help me navigate like river Queens better? Because mm -hmm. like, that's, that's just priority number one. So I would be like paying very close attention to the villain, their actions. You know, I don't look at the river card when it comes down ever. I don't look at the flop when it comes down. I don't look at the turn when it comes down. It's if villains first to act, I'm watching their reaction to the board and all of the streets because like, that's, you know, we, you can always look down at the board and see what came on the turn. If you miss their reaction, if you miss a sigh, if you miss some physical tell, you can't get that back. It's just gone forever. Mm -hmm. So that's my priority. So like, I don't, I, I, so basically it's a long way of me saying, I can't tell you what I would do because I would need to be in the moment and really just gauge the situation as it came to me. Okay. That's fair. So the river's a deuce of diamonds. We get the, the fabled brick the deuce of diamonds on the river and now chicago tim joe's got 3.4k there's 1.5k in the pot and chicago tim thinks about it does a kind of a weird thing he like grabs his chips and then cuts out a bunch of different amounts and then ends up ends up betting it's not 1.3k it's like 1260 it was like a weird non-round number and for the youtube we'll watch him watch him cut out his checks so it's 1.3k to call there's 2.7k in the pot joe's not gonna call i guess we'll we'll spoil spoil this hand he's not gonna call and given how much emphasis we put on the physical tell on the turn he's probably not folding either so i guess first and foremost like removing the physical tell aspect from this hand uh i mean the villain does bet like close to pot on the river like a very tiny raise and then a pots it on the river john would you be inclined to you know turn use your blocker to bluff jam river i think it's a good idea i think it's like or i think like the concept is is, is like a good idea here the, the biggest issue for me is that we, we're just not deep enough to to make this jam scary and especially versus a recreational player they're just gonna side call for 2.1k more when they have a flush probably a hundred percent of the time um the reason i like this the idea though like let's just assume we're deeper is that like there's nothing that joe's done that like captains that caps himself or or that you know somehow like doesn't allow him to have the nut flush like i think he 
he could very very easily arrive at the river uh with enough flesh played in this manner um so i think like that does show that like he's you know he's like one sort of thinking about like what like the like the range that he arrives to the river like the full range he arrives to the river with and he's not just like looking at ace king high and saying like okay it's like i, I can't call so I, I like i think like i don't know i saw this hand and and like I, while i mean we can spoil it for the for the viewers joe shelves and it doesn't and it doesn't get through um like i i guess i i, I guess like i saw this hand and like Despite it not working, like I gained a lot of respect for Joe. I was like, okay, so like this is like one someone who is like thinking about, I don't know, like their ranges more deeply than just like the face value of the strength of the absolute strength of their hand. And then two, like has like I guess in this case, we'll call it courage, but like the courage to to pull the trigger on the river in like a really tough spot and in, in, in a pretty scary spot. I mean, when you're taking a shot at a game that's like significantly bigger than what you usually play. Like I think that's really, really hard to to get yourself to do that. I don't think this was the right plate, the right like time and place, mostly because of stack sizes. Uh, I I didn't notice the size, so like my my main reason like hinges on like we're just not deep enough to get this guy to fold flushes. But yeah, I I, I don't know. I I, I like the, the kind of like the inspiration or the idea behind this play. Is, is what yeah, I mean, it, it's it's theoretical sound. Like you need to have some bluffs on the river, and like this is kind of the perfect hand to bluff with because you block the nut flush. Um, and you are going to flat the turn with some nut flushes. So like you're, you, you know, theoretically you do need to have some bluffs. I think, like you said, though, this is just not the spot. I, I think that like, this is not the villain, not the line that you want to be putting the money in when they getting a good price, like raising to a size where it's like 2k more, they bet 1.3 and they got to call 2k. Like this is just getting called every single time. Right. I, I, and, you know, for the listener and Joe, I, I think that. I guess the real question here, the way that I frame this is like, how would you feel if you had the nut flush on the river jamming? Like what, what frequency do you think villain's going to be calling this specific villain in this specific spot, getting this specific price when you have like, you know, the ace deuce of clubs and you jam the river. And I mean, I can't speak for everybody, but for me, I'd be like fist bumping. It'd be like, it's a done deal. This is signed, sealed and delivered they're always calling the river you know i would be like shocked to ever see somebody fold in this spot after taking this line and yeah. i i i just want to add that i think like another another part of this that 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 analysis hinges on is rec like the way recreational players view flush completing turns and rivers and how i think they just play extremely passively and, and get, get like overly scared of like flush completing turn the rivers when they don't have flushes. And like, I think a good example here is like, I would never expect Chicago Tim to check raise like even King queen on the turn or like queen, queen eight or like a straight like that. Or like, I don't think he's ever like looking down at a Jack 10 and being like, Oh, nice. Like, you know, I turned two pair. I get to raise now on this, on this club club turn. And then on top of that, I don't think, you know, after they do check raise a turn, I don't think those hands are potting the river. Um, so we have like very, very much, bundled uh chicago tim's range to like lots and lots of flushes and 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 probably not that much else value um so yeah well, like you said if i did have the nut flush on the river i'd be super happy yeah and um you know we actually block one of the major bluff cards <laughs> that chicago tim could use to be bluffing with we have the ace of clubs and so like he can't even have the ace of clubs here um i don't you know ace whatever i don't even know what he could arrive here with the ace of clubs maybe just like donks with like ace four offsuit with the ace of clubs or something i have no idea but anyway basically there's just 
very few bluffs that we can find. And so not a great spot to jam, but you know, I think like, like you said, Joe has a lot of heart and it's a theoretically sound play. I just think it was not deployed at the right moment. And, uh, you know, Joe paid the price and lost this 8k pot. And, um, you know, sometimes you learn lessons while you're playing cards, especially live poker. And like the way that I, I would frame this to Joe is, it's okay to make mistakes and it's okay to go broke and it's okay to do things like this as long as you're learning the lesson and it allows you to play better in the future and make more money and choose a different action when similar scenarios occur, then the mistake pays for itself over time as long as you're, you know, trying to take away the positives. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like you 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 probably agree with this. Um, like as a coach, like I would much rather my student have like too much heart and like not great, you know, whatever, like fundamentals, poker skills or something like that. Because I think like those, those skills, like, Hey, you should pay attention to like live tells or Hey, like maybe you should be a little bit more cognizant of like stack sizes before you go for a jam. That's easy to teach. Like instilling heart in someone is probably like, I don't know. I don't even know if that's possible. Like if you can like get someone who like just can't pull the trigger in the spot to like start pulling the trigger somehow. Or, or even like noticing that like this is a spot where like hey like you could turn you know ace of clubs x into into a bluff um over a river bet uh so yeah i'm i'm i feel like uh, my my prediction was my my like guess was that like you saw joe play this hand and like you just like weren't even uh, i would be surprised if you even like categorize this as like a really really big mistake it's just like hey this is fine like i keep doing this kind of stuff just pick your spots better yeah i mean when i watched it back the biggest part for me was like you miss a physical tell and that sucks like that, that, that makes me feel sucky because like, I, I mean, I saw it on the first run through pretty much immediately, but I, I do want to clarify though. I think like Joe is, Joe is a higher technical player, right? Like he, he's a, he's getting there as it relates to like his technical ability. It, but I know what you mean. Like you want a student, just like a blank slate of a student. You want them to have more heart, um, then less heart. You want them to be more aggressive because like you can dial back the aggression and you can like refine that roughness. Um, it's very hard to get people to like pull the trigger in spots where they should be pulling the trigger. It's very hard to like get people to put money in the pot with their bluffs when they just don't want to. Um, so yeah, hands down, you want the player that has heart, that's going to be aggressive. You, you can work with that. It's a lot easier to work with than right, training, right. training somebody to be more aggressive. Um, and with that said, you know, this is the, the end of this tactical Tuesday. If you're watching on YouTube, thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed. Give us some feedback on this format and have a new, have a new page up on chasing pokergreatness.com chasing pokergreatness.com slash courses has all of the courses, fish in a barrel, feeding frenzy, preflop bootcamp, nuffle. Uh, I think I'm forgetting, uh, I think I'm forgetting one, but, uh, Fishing with Dynamite is going to launch in the very near future. That's dealing with um, when fish see bet against you. And uh, so check out chasingpokergreatness.com slash courses. This is Coach Brad and John signing off, and we will see you next week. Thanks for listening to Chasing Poker Greatness. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com to get the newsletter, join the Greatness Village community, book a coaching session, or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. 
follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast.